There you are. Oh, and okay. So I'm going to go live on YouTube, do an introduction, and then I'll edit this part out of uh, the anchor, and then we'll just go into the interview. So wonderful. You are a technical wizard, and I appreciate that. It's so beautiful. Okay, we're going to go live here, and uh, let's have some fun. Hello, and welcome to the True North Podcast. I am Kimberly. I'm your host. I am a trauma-informed equine-assisted breakthrough coach in Sedona, Arizona. I am universalizing my message of True North. And that means that I get to showcase on this show so many wonderful, amazing people that are, have been on the hero's journey, and now they're on the other side sharing their true north mission. They are living their divine mission, and they are sharing their stories with me, and I am so excited because it's so inspiring to meet people who are on the other side of challenges in life, and we all face them. So, I love showcasing humans that uh, have done the hard work to navigate this journey called life. And tonight I have a very special guest. Crystal Garcia is with us and she is an anti-BDSM self-love coach. She's the author of the Alchemy of Self-Love Poetry. She is a former dominatrix and now educates uh, us on the reality of BDSM and that it's actually abuse. She has been in the human rights conversation for well over 20 years and supporting self-love work as a foundation for healing. You can sign up uh, for her April uh, sorry, she can sign up for her April self-love poetry workshop on her website at Healthy Desire. And you can also find many free resources there. And I'm just so excited to have this conversation because, and I'll quit reading my notes, but that's so less personal, right? But um, I'm just really excited to have this conversation. I think it's something that, um, you know, these subjects can get a little uh, uncomfortable, perhaps. But I think they're so important to have because especially when we look out in the world today, um, it would seem to me that there's this hyper-focus on um, sexualization and, and what's healthy and what's not. So to talk with Crystal, who has been there and done that, done something that um, maybe has a stigma attached to it and is so brave to really look at her beliefs and challenge them and then literally change her belief system, I think is a really powerful, powerful um, energy to put out into the world. And I really look forward to her story. So let's not waste any more time. I'm gonna bring Crystal onto the stream. 
I am over on Sedona Horse Medicine on YouTube as well as on Anchor. So we'll see if I can navigate this technology and uh, let's have some fun. Let's have a good conversation. And there she is. Hi, Crystal. Uh, let's let's unmute you. That's that's user. That's user. me. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Hello. It's so nice to meet you. Um, do you have your Do you have the sh the show on? We're getting a little bit of a feedback. No, let's. No, now you've muted yourself. Uh, let me see. Is that better? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, there we go. Whatever you did, that worked. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Will you still be able to hear me on Anchor? I turned Anchor down. Yes, yes. That's it. Okay. It's all picking up. We're just, uh, yeah. We'll, okay, perfect. We'll navigate <laughs> this together. So welcome, Crystal. Great, great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my, to be here. my pleasure. I think I'll just let you jump right into to your story. And, and then from there, we can kind of maybe go through some questions. But I think uh, just take it away. Okay, sure. So I am an anti-BDSM self-love coach. And I am an ex-professional dominatrix of 13 years. So the way I ended up leaving was I wasn't planning on leaving BDSM. I was actually creating a school. I was working on curriculum and courses. I had, after 13 years of being in BDSM, I had actually begun training other doms. And uh, so I decided to create my own quote unquote school. Um, but in the process of that, I, you know, I used to say all of the BDSM rhetoric that I now deconstruct. Um, but I, I used to say, well, if it's abuse, it's not BDSM. So when it came down to it, I'm like, okay, well, I keep saying this now I have to prove it. So I went into that conversation to prove myself right. Um, and then found out I ended up proving myself wrong which was a big shock to me because that's not what I set out to do. Um, and I still, I put in months of time after that because I, it was just very shocking. Uh, when I could not find the line between BDSM and abuse, and that's when I started to step away. Um, it still took me a little bit of time to completely see uh, and completely not support BDSM at all. But once I realized said there was no line between BDSM and abuse. That's when my life completely changed. And that's when I just dropped BDSM. Um, but it was very shocking. It took me seven years just to process uh, the concept of um, what who I had been in BDSM. So it was, I didn't have really support. I mean, I had therapy, you know, in general support, but I didn't have support specifically in moving through leaving BDSM. Um, I was faced, you know, I would try and seek support groups, but because I had been a dom, I wasn't allowed in those support groups, which understandably so, if it was just submissives, and that could be very daunting for them. Um, but I had also had the experience of being a submissive and a switch. Um, but there 
wasn't a space for a dom to heal or an ex-dom to get support and heal. It just wasn't something that happened. And so I had to create my own personal healing modality, which, uh, and the conversation free from BDSM, which is what I speak on now. And as an anti-BDSM self-love coach, I specialize in working with survivors of BDSM. And I'm inclusive to everybody. I include doms, subs, switches, because everybody should have the support to get out. Um, and so it was It was very daunting because I had to, I was under the delusion that I was doing something good. I, I was delusional. I was like, oh, well, this is, people are coming to me that are saying what they want. Um, but once I went through seven years of that, then it hit me what had been done to me as well. And to realize that it was trafficking and all of these other things and, and uh, how many people had put me through those positions, it was, it was, it was very, it was shocking on a different level. Mm -hmm. So with all of those years of being out of BDSM and I've spent, uh, you know, I spent 13 years in BDSM and then it's been nine plus years from that being out. And so I've spent the, the past nine years deconstructing BDSM and deconstructing the gaslighting and grooming because the languaging is steeped in gaslighting and grooming. So now I educate people. I have YouTube videos that I just started up again and TikTok videos. So I have those free resources so people can arm themselves to be prepared with healthy boundaries instead of getting enrolled in BDSM. So that's a little bit of the gist of what I've been up to. Wow. Uh, I have a couple questions. So let's, I, a switch. Let's, let's talk about maybe what is BDSM? What yeah. is a DOM? What is a sub? What is a switch sure. for people that maybe, right. you know, don't even know those yes. terms? Good point. Yeah, good point. So BDSM is an acronym. It stands, the B stands for bondage. The D stands for domination and submission or DS relationships. The S stands for sadism. And sadism is when people supposedly get off and hurt harming someone. The M stands for masochism is when people supposedly get off on being harmed. And I say supposedly be supposedly get, get off because that's not actually what's happening. These are all trauma arousal responses, um, but that's how it's, it's defined as. And okay. So a dom, a dominatrix or most commonly known as a dom, which is gender neutral is someone who dominates. It's someone who is the sadist, the someone who puts the sessions in place and they control the submissive and the slave. And then the submissive is someone who, submits to the dom and is put into different positions by the the dom and i'm oversimplifying but that's just to give you guys an idea and then a switch is someone who identifies as both a submissive and a dom so they can go back and forth between either being submissive or being a dominant okay that is it's so it's it's fascinating to me um I, I guess my next question is, I, you talked about the grooming and the language and the gaslighting. How did this start for you that you even became a, a member of this world? Right. So this all starts for, uh, this starts in childhood. Um, the grooming for BDSM begins in childhood. 
I mean, I am a survivor of child sex trafficking. I'm a survivor of um, child abuse, child sexual abuse, and grew up in a narcissistic family. So I was pretty much just raised to be dom. Um, so it starts as early as childhood. A lot of the things that I, in the 13 years of being a dom, experienced all went back to people reenacting their trauma from childhood. Um, so the people who are drawn to BDSM, a vast majority of them are reenacting childhood trauma, either with teachers, doctors, parents, some kind of authority figure. Um, the doms are a representation of mother or father. So it all comes back to childhood. And that, you know, especially with severe abuse, but there are many levels of it. Mm -hmm. And so this is what pulls people into BDSM. And so that's what it, it immediately immediately creates people to be more readily groomed into it or more readily gaslighted into it mm -hmm. from childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. There's a very few group of people, or it's become, since the movie Fifty Shades of Grey, has become more of an open conversation. So now people who may not have had that experience of a child as, as children are being drawn to it as well, because they're being given the misinformation that BDSM is sex or sexuality nothing to do with that's not the case at all um but they can be drawn people can be drawn into it as well thinking they're going to be doing something that's exciting for their relationship when they're actually bringing something very dangerous into the relationship um but yeah that the most common thing is that and one of the one of the things i knew like in my 20s i was i, I used to read a lot about like serial killers and i was pretty fascinated but as the correlation between BDSM and what I noticed, uh, I'm not saying that people in BDSM are serial killers, I'm just saying there is a correlation between uh, what affected both of those people um, that ended up going into either of those worlds, is having to do with bathroom trauma. Bathroom the, trauma. Bathroom trauma um, as children. Interesting. Please do expand um, on this. Yeah, so um, as far as when it comes to potty training, and, and I hope if there are any parents who are listening to this, this is really important. And I like if you know children, if you know people raising children, one of the biggest correlation between those two worlds is being shamed during the potty training era. During that time, any shaming, any fear response, any um, punishment, uh, if you're exhausted and your kid has an accent, take a breather because you're going to deeply affect them in a way that is fundamental. So, and I have seen it between the, the studies that I used to do in my 20s, which I, I know is uh, morbid, but it's kind of like an American fascination with, with the, the topic. Um, but, and then being 13 years in yeah. as a dominatrix. Yeah they people come in that is the biggest thing that people come in to reenact yeah wow. is whatever trauma was done during the potty training ages so it's integral it you know it it doesn't take much to really devastate somebody and to very really devastate a child to the point where it's they feel like they have no control over something like that it's a very vulnerable thing for a child to um experience and because of my understanding of those because of the experience i had when I, i'm a mom and when i had my child 
I was hyper vigilant to never shame in the slightest. I, I talked very slow, very calmly. I put low lights if they had to take a shower or whatever. Moved. I watched my movements meticulously because I knew the effects of it. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know that. I don't think a lot of people, um, because a lot of the times when people are in BDSM, they get sucked into it for life, especially doms. Um, submissives can tend to leave a little bit faster, but doms seem to get locked in for a lot longer or a lifetime. Um, they're just more likely to. There's not, you know, so... When it comes to, I haven't met another former Dom who's doing what I'm doing. Um, I'm open to meeting them. I'm open to having conversations with them, but it's very difficult to find former Doms who speak up about it or who have left. Um, so I don't think a lot of people understand like how pivotal these things are, the developmental age is, and how it can make people more vulnerable to getting sucked into BDSM. Wow, I mean that just hits me right in the the sacral and solar plexus, and and that is our emotional center. And when that gets hijacked, that changes our entire a human's entire trajectory of their life. And so you're talking really. I mean, do you? Because what I see is an epidemic that's that's happening on the planet that's coming up with people and their sexual energy. And so this is one avenue um, that is showing itself. And you, I mean, what an incredible voice for this. And if if there is, you know, nobody else that you've met, um, what a powerhouse of a voice and what a true North divine mission you're on. That is, it's so powerful that you are, the courage to speak out about and say, look, parents, this is, we need to really, as a globe, really watch out for, for young people's sacral energy and how delicate that is. And so it, it makes sense to me that these are, I mean, these are very vulnerable moments for a child. And um, I, I, I guess by you talking about this, more people can can be exposed to how sensitive these moments are and how delicate that sacral energy is at that age and how that can really go out um, and affect uh, everyone, really. I mean, because think about, I mean, with our age and, you know, our parents wouldn't have known this stuff. They, these things right. weren't being talked about. So what a blessing that it is to have your, your voice sharing that information. That's a very valuable um, thing that you just talked about. And you being a mother, is that one of the, did you ever have any sort of, when you were doing developing the school or you progressed, could you compartmentalize those worlds and then all of a sudden you just couldn't compartmentalize them. And by the way, it's very brave to look at your belief system, challenge yourself and critically examine your own beliefs. That is an exceptional um, superpower. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's very uh, confronting and challenging and felt horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also very freeing after that process. And as far as compartmentalize, what do you mean in, in regards to what? Well, that part of your life, did it ever, did it, did it ever, it just was so ingrained that this was just, this was okay. And then you had your family life. Did, was there ever any time that being a mother ever, was that part of the catalyst and you may be re-examining things? I may, maybe is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, becoming a mom definitely helped me heal a lot of things and re-examine a lot of things for sure. Um, it, yeah, absolutely was part of it. Um, but there was, there was so much that I had to, there's so much I had to look at in myself as well. Mm -hmm. And including leaving that world, um, it, it just, it just continued to have to, I mean, the, I, the self, the self work continues always. Yeah. Uh, and then constantly looking into the deeper and deeper nuances of the control the dominatrix and all that stuff because what i realized and it wasn't actually wasn't until last year that i realized that i have narcissistic tendencies so that opened up another a deeper aspect of having to get even more conscious of what that looks like what does it mean what, what are all these different things and it is my experience that in the doms that I've worked with and, and in how doms are set up, that doms are either narcissists or have narcissistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between the two. Narcissists can't change. It's they don't have the ability to. Yeah, there's it's, no um, inner, there's no inner child. Yeah. yeah, it's just beyond their control. It's yeah. it's something um, something different. But those with narcissistic tendencies, those mm -hmm. things can change, uh, but it takes a lot of work. And it takes, I will tell you, um, being super vigilant every single day, um, all day long, because it is it is trained from trauma and it needs just, it just needs a lot of hypervigilance and work. Mm -hmm. Not hypervigilance to the point of like being terrified of every moment, but just like the self-responsibility that it takes to break free from um, narcissistic tendencies is a lot of work. Um, but again, it's also the, the effects are wonderful because the cost of it is intimacy. The BDSM is one of the fastest ways to kill intimacy. And it's being praised or put out there as if it's sexual and quite frankly to me that shows our traumatized understanding of sex it's trauma projection onto sex and sexuality because mm -hmm. sex is is beautiful it's healthy it's wonderful um and so what i tell people because you know the, i i don't make a lot of friends having these conversations but i make the right friends that's what i say you know because um it is a very comfort a confronting conversation yes. for people to be faced with because it's become so normalized BDSM has become so normalized in our society. Well, a lot of things have become normalized that, that are not uh, what I would say embracing what true intimacy and, and love are. Absolutely. And it's it seems to be an epidemic. And I would even go into the epigenetic trauma, the family trauma, how this carries on through you know generation after generation and Absolutely. seeing... Um, 
my actually I'm going to be doing an interview with a couple women that I work with out of Phoenix that are uh, have an outreach bringing women out of trafficking and domestic violence. And then um, I work with them out with the horses and, and we do a um, it's so this is a this is a subject that's, that I'm very, very passionate about. And because I do see it as epigenetic. And so at, and 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 the abuse starting it just seems to be epidemic that everybody gets some trauma and the easiest way to get at a human being is young in that sacral solar plexus energy the sexual and and i don't want to use sexual because it's children but it's 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 the energy force that, that you come into the world with that's so pure and innocent that is so natural but it's being exploited and so many people I believe don't even think that they they've had trauma, but if you, you know, what's your porn habit? Like what's your intimacy ability? Like, I think that this is an epidemic. And so this is, yeah. I believe um, even uh, if you're not necessarily a professional in BDSM, but it is something that you're exploring, I think that it can quickly become something that destroys uh, your sexual energy, uh, the, the innocent, the beauty of your sexual energy. Um, yes. It's it's always been something that, um, that I've, I went, okay, I, I'm gonna share this and I haven't really said this, this public and, and I'm, Actually, I don't care if it sounds crazy. It's, it's, it's my, it's, it's what I'm feeling. Um, I went to Egypt and I did not want to go into the pyramids. I, it, there was something that told me that that is where the dungeon is. And I got the image of that is where the hijacking of the sacral chakra, like something happened there that uh, the original dungeon was there is, is, is just what I, I felt. And so I didn't want to even be around them. And so whenever I think of uh, that's, I thought of BDSM that like, that's where it started. And, you know, the oldest profession is around for a reason. And so it's like this archetypical story that's happening in every one of us. And until we go in and do the individual healing of it. So what you have done is gone into the dungeon and set yourself free. Well, I left the dungeon. <laughs> I left the dungeon yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like you, you were in the dungeon and you left, like you set yourself free. And now that's your hero's journey was you went deep into that and you set yourself free and now you're on the other side and, and you know, that's the hero's journey is going into the underworld and then coming out and then sharing with the, the village, what you've learned. And so you are, you are really the epitome of someone who is on the other side and has been in the hero's journey. I think it's, it's um, amazing. And you're so courageous the fact that you had like you ha have been so introspective is so beautiful and i mean you were i i'm assuming quite successful if you were going to start a school so you found a way was was 
the money addictive? Was the lifestyle addictive in any way for you? Well, the thing about it, well, yes, yeah, absolutely. But the um, the thing about being trafficked is there is a lot of money involved. But the reason money exchanges hands is to bypass consent. Um, so the money does get addictive, just like I was in the list. Uh, I was sex trafficked in what's incorrectly called a sex industry. There's no such thing as a sex industry that's sex trafficking. Um, I was in the escorting and stripping and all of that. And it does because it's a survival. It's like being trafficked, you got to spend the money to survive the horror of being trafficked and all of the other stuff. So it's it becomes cyclical, not like the money is just an aspect of trying to erase what was going on. Um, and like trying to normalize like, oh, okay, well there's money. And so blah, 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 blah. So yeah, it does, it does become, it's one of the biggest reasons that people have a hard time getting away from being trafficked it be, is because the, uh, it, the money exchange is just not the same. Mm -hmm. It's not the same when you leave. And so when you're used to being trafficked uh, and having this amount of money, and then you have to try and uh, work through all of this trauma, and on top of that, try and keep a so-called quote-unquote normal job, it, it's just, it's very, mm -hmm. it's, it's a horror show, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's not as much of a horror show as being trafficked, but it's also very, it's very difficult. And for people who survive such extreme trauma, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to be able to um, just jump back into societies if nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the reasons a lot of people have a hard time leaving. Mm -hmm. um, but it's uh when when there's when there's something that becomes comes into an awareness there's just no other choice mm -hmm. it's like oh well this really just doesn't work and I, I there's no way i can go back knowing the reality of what this is it's just not possible mm -hmm. so at that point the money doesn't have such a, a hold mm -hmm. because the, the lie the lies come to surface yeah and the when the delusion is broken the money doesn't mean anything anymore mm -hmm. um the money is part of the delusion and part of the grooming and gaslighting it's part of the cycle yeah. um so yeah when, it was uh yeah sorry when no, you, when you talk are you comfortable with talking about like the the grooming and the the trafficking oh, part of your life and how okay okay and and thank you i i do appreciate that yeah, I, I talk very openly about this. I I really appreciate that. It's uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. So I'm I'm curious to. Uh, you talked about childhood and and how that started and the progression of that and and what that what that entailed. I suppose is maybe what I'm what I'm asking here. The progression of what well, if it started in childhood, was it like uh uh emotionally unavailable uh family so and high trait narcissism which affected your attachment style which then when you yeah. when you become became of an age of, of sexual activity you were predisposed to predatorial energy 
because you didn't have perhaps it's a common it's common with sure. high trait narcissism or full on MPD to to have uh, a detachment style early on that prevents you from having a healthy uh, giving and receiving of love. So I'm just wondering if if that's right. Got it. So yes. Yeah, so I um, I had an odd mix of there were things that I was given as a child, but I was also heavily abused. So I was very, I was physically abused, sexually abused, and just um, emotionally abused as well, psychologically abused. So gaslighting grooming was pretty natural to me. And I didn't know any type of normal, healthy bonding dynamic. All of it was steeped with heavy abuse. So BDSM just seemed like, all right, well, it's just, it was just a, a progression of what I already knew. And then again, there was the exchange of money, you know, so it was um, finding myself being trafficked, but all of that was happening at the same time of being pimped and all these other things. So there was, it wasn't just one thing happening, um, but there was that. And then there's the illusion of um, being a dom, uh, having some access to power or having more say so, you know, the, the illusion that they create, like, oh, you, you have, um, you have power in how you're pimped or you have, you know, sure, be, be however you want to be. And that's totally fine. You, you have, uh, it's, it's female sexual empowerment and women in their power. It's not women in their power. It's women being trafficked. It's women being, uh, becoming the abuser. That's not powerful. That's still at the effect of what was done. And, uh, so they becoming what you hated. You, you become yeah, almost the monster that you're fighting and it and it's being sold as empowering yeah yeah and then you know then you're you're doing it to other women you're doing it to men and, and somehow this is supposed to be powerful it's, it's not powerful it's actually incredibly disempowered there's no power to it uh, abusing people is not powerful and uh, I know people cringe when I say like oh BDSM is it is abuse. You know, it's, it's, it's been the tactics and the conversation. And like, so seeing people I talk to people, I talk with couples who are like, oh, well, what if we just use handcuffs or what if we just tie our hands up or uh, tie our hands above the head or behind the back was like something soft with a, a scarf. It has nothing to do with the texture, nothing to do. It has everything to do with the bondage. And I tell people, I'm like, you have no idea. I don't care how long you've known the person. I, you could have known the person for 25 years. You have no idea who your who your loved one is when sadism is invited into the bedroom, when bondage is invited to the bedroom. People are not meant to have power over anybody. You see people in a gas station who are managers, who are the ones who are, treat people awfully, and that's a tiny bit of power. Now you have someone who is bound, someone who's tied up, and now this, the person that you're with does not even know themselves in that situation because it's not a normal situation. It is not a healthy situation. It is inviting sadism and masochism out of each other, which is, quite frankly, in my perspective, de-evolution. The whole point of society is to evolve, go towards compassion, go towards kindness and tenderness and empathy. BDSM is de-evolution from that. That's a powerful thing you just said right there. De-evolution, that it's, that is, that hit, that is a powerful statement. It was beautifully said. That's incredible. 
that's incredible that you have have uh, been able to come to that realization that it is de-evolution. It's going backwards. It's not going forwards in love. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's separating from love, not going deeper into it. You know, I mean, we teach we teach toddlers don't hit somebody. That's not okay. That's not nice. We teach these very basic things, but under the umbrella of BDSM, suddenly it's allowable. And I tell people, I'm like, when someone is tied up, it will pull something out of your partner that they may not even comprehend or be prepared for. You cannot prepare for something like this. There's a difference between people like, oh, well, it's it's a fantasy. It's, and I love this because someone very dear to me uses, um, like it's, it's, it's not a fantasy. It is the opposite of that. You know, a fantasy is something beautiful. We've taken in our society that fantasy can be something heinous. That's a nightmare. It's not a fantasy. And so now people are, are pulling nightmares into their relationships. You're not going to have good dreams. You're not going to have sweet dreams if you're pulling nightmares in. It's not going to happen. And so it doesn't matter the the texture or how lightly it is bondage. Yeah. And bondage renders someone helpless. So do you think that it, that it it's coming from the subconscious and it actually is like an epigenetic trauma that has been triggered and the answer isn't to think that that's a fantasy that maybe it's actually trying to teach you that you want to get away from that and go into love instead of exploring it and just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and then nothing gets resolved you just become it just becomes a lifestyle of constant um separation absolutely there's a, here's a people need to be careful because there's a lot of coaches out there now um, in the neo-tantra community or in the um, life coaching. And this is this is in psychiatry and psychology now as well. The BDSM has injected itself. And people are like, oh, well, this is a good way to work through trauma. No, the best way to work through trauma is not to reenact trauma. That is not working I through trauma. I couldn't agree there more. Will be people, yeah, there will be people, excuse me, <laughs> my allergies, but there will be people who try and call it shadow work BDSM is not shadow work. It is the avoidance of the shadow. It is shadow worship. You cannot work through, you know, and that's for people who have the concept of shadow work and all that stuff, which is not everybody uh, agrees with that or, and that's fine. But the, the, the concept of the term shadow work, quote unquote, is being used to BDSM. It is very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I stay away from anybody who because what I've personally found uh, myself, and they could, there could be people who do shadow work that are totally healthy, um, but if it has something to do with BDSM, absolutely not. But what I personally opinion is the most powerful form of shadow work is self-love. It's just self-love. It's fun. It's play. It's enjoyment. It's it's being silly. It's it's snuggling with something soft, petting your your pets having time with friends because the stuff the the psyche we have so much trauma in the world we don't have to seek it out it's already there it's already everywhere <laughs> everywhere yeah yeah the biggest thing is have fun you know it, it, and the thing is there are such things as like you said i think it's i think yeah absolutely 
I absolutely do believe that there are generational things that are coming up. I do believe there's there's present trauma that gets triggered. And that's also what's very dangerous about BDSM is they'll say like, oh, there's a safe word, which first of all is a a way to groom people and gaslight them as if, oh, you have control over how much I abuse you. I, I could go off on that forever. But anyway, <laughs> because you lived it. And I think that that's what's so amazing about this conversation is, I mean, if if I'm going to listen to anybody about this subject, it's going to be somebody who lived it because you have, I'm sure, seen hundreds and had hundreds of experiences that gave you this book of knowledge that you have and so you're able to say look this is i i've i've done this this is this was a lifestyle for me and i'm telling you right now that this is not what you're being told that it is and you 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 mentioned before that with um dancing and and even escorting and so you being in that world the kind of the umbrella of of the underbelly we can call it um did you find that bdsm gave you kind of um an outlet because then you could separate yourself at a different level when you were a dominatrix I'm curious about the level of connection. Did it? Because being a sub, I can I can imagine two different experiences. And then if you're if you call if you're called a switch, was it a different um, different than escorting and and stripping? And 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 if it was in a different way, can you can you describe the nuances that were between sure. those? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, BDSM was in everything. It was in all of it. It was in stripping. It was in escorting. It was all connected. Um, BDSM has it's it's all sex trafficking. You know, all those worlds are under the sex trafficking umbrella, um, and BDSM is everywhere. I had people who came into the strip club who wanted to be dominated. I had when I was escorting, I had people who wanted to be dominated or to dominate. I worked briefly in a in a a couple of dungeons and uh, dungeon means it's either a house or uh, a building where there's uh, uh, someone who either manages it. They're either a, a, a mistress or, or whatever title they use or some of them. Don't so like a brothel, a brothel, but like, yeah. 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 Okay. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a pimp, but they have little fancy words or they avoid a title completely, but they're taking half your money and yeah. they're providing space. Okay. Okay. Um, and so these different areas, I mean, it all connected people who go into the sex trafficking uh, spaces and who buy people, they're they very connected with BDSM. Like there is a range of it. And in strip clubs, there were people who, uh, bachelor parties that came in, and one of the biggest things they wanted to do is have their friend uh, belt sit on stage. You know, like the, it's just everywhere. Yeah. It's all it's all connected. Yeah. Um, going into dom mode would was was definitely trying 
to disconnect from the reality of the trafficking. And it was uh, trying to be like, oh, fine. You, you know, from all of the trafficking and everything and all the things experienced, it was very vengeful. It's very revenge filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people, if they talk about BDSM, they're like, oh, it's so sexy. No, it's not. You have deeply traumatized people harming each other. And the doms are, you know, they'll, they'll put on this whole facade of like um, just a whole story or like pretend there's elegance to it. There's nothing elegant about harming people, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. it's just a, a whole lot of unresolved trauma and, and people uh, exacting revenge on mommy and daddy, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And it's really that simplistic. And I know a lot of people don't like that um, or like to create the illusion or delusion that that's it's something elegant or pretty or royal it's not yeah it's not and i've had people be like oh well that was you you just had that experience or you just weren't a good dom and i'm like no i was a really good dom that's the problem i shouldn't that shouldn't have never you you shouldn't be good at that that's not a that's not something to brag about that's not something to brag about so when people say um like, oh, I'm just a better dom, or I was a great dom. Yeah, I was too. That's bad. You know, they don't have the connection. They just don't have the understanding yet that that's not, it's not bragging rights. It's very unhealthy. Well, that's, I think, when I talk about trauma, I think that, you know, a lot of people would, I've never had any trauma. I've read. And I think that for me, in the work I do over the last two, three years, the amount of people that have come to the revelation that I indeed have had trauma has been amazing. I have, I have had conversations with clients that have told me things that they, um, you know, they never, they never even thought they had trauma. So it has been fascinating to me. And, um, you know, I've, I've been, pretty outspoken with um, trafficking and talking about uh, things I saw in LA and uh, with, with whether it was with a pimp or whether it was, uh, you know, a lot of the models even um, that that's a whole nother sect of, of uh, it's a whole, and it, they're heavily trafficked. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then it, the conversation comes up, well, as an adult, you make your choices if you're, if if it's consenting and, you know, so these conversations I think are, are so important to have because if you're coming from a survival mode and you've been, and you've had CPTSD your whole life and you have never learned emotional regulation or what boundaries are, and you're in a codependent, people-pleasing, traumatized state, you wouldn't even have the verbiage to say that uh, this wasn't coercion. Like you wouldn't, like, I, oh, my choice, I, you know, but so people just don't even understand that, um, you know, people are making choices out of survival, surviving, not thriving. And then we have the media, uh, you know, the programming 
that would say uh, that this is, you know, kind of a cool lifestyle or even even the porn uh, that that has become so easily accessible and even at a younger rate. I mean, there was a time when, you know, you, the sneaking of a magazine was was what you had access to. Now it's at the fingertips. And so it's so easily accessible into the psyche. And that is the easiest way to get to a human being and, and hijack, hijack really the dreams of someone's life, a trajectory, that, the natural way things are supposed to be to someone's dreams in life. And it gets hijacked at such a young age that their life, they wouldn't even know they're in survival mode. And I hope that wasn't too much of a babble. I'm trying to connect some dots because this is such a, this is such an, a, a, a subject that's so deeply uh, on my heart. Um, and so I, I just think that it's so powerful that you've been able to connect the dots for yourself. I mean, I guess that, and that's where the healing work really starts is with ourselves. Right. And then when we do that, it just kind of, and that's really what true North to me is, is you've gone into the belly of the beast. You, you, you experienced the belly of the beast and said, wait a minute, not today, Satan, not today. And whether or not you believe in Satan, a darker energy, however, whatever, whatever lane you travel in, I suppose is what I'm getting at that. No, you don't get to take who I naturally am in love. And so you have had such an amazing perspective. And so when you do your uh, self-love, you have, is it in April that you're having? Um, yeah, yeah I, have a, I have a workshop, a turning trauma into poetry. I love that. And it's a self-love poetry workshop. So I work with survivors and we use poetry as a tool to help move through things. And it, it helped me a lot. I'm, I'm, that's what my first book, my poetry book. And poetry has been really healing for me. And I find it to be, mm -hmm. it's a, and I want people to know that poetry is for everybody. You don't have to be a poet or, or mm -hmm. like, it's just, it's, it's a really creative form of uh, journaling yeah. and, and expressing and connecting. It's not, it's not just for a certain group of people. Cause I never really liked that. Yeah. Um, um, uh, mindset. It's for everyone. Um, so yes, yeah, we, we do, we do use poetry as a tool in the workshop and yeah. it's, it's been, it's been an awesome experience with people. Creativity in, yeah. you know, when I, when I moved to, to Santa Monica, um, in 2009, um, and I've, I've been on my own journey with, with a few of the things that we've talked about and, um, I found a little bookstore that I went and you know, read my poetry in and it changed, so cool. it, it changed my life. And so I, I have been on, um, my own healing journey, uh, with, and I, I, not to get into necessarily my story, but I, I feel like you're a sister with me in, in this subject and, and that we find our way to then, like I said, on that hero's journey to then come and share with the, the, the village, what we've learned. And yeah. I think it's just so powerful. And mm -hmm. I, 
I just want to reach out and give you a hug because I just, it's so beautiful. It's, and it's so powerful because it's not coming from a place of, of judgment of one's choices. It's just saying, look, I've, this was my experience. I thought it was one way, but when I tapped into my heart and I really couldn't answer my own questions when I was, when I was challenging my beliefs, it just didn't hold water. And and when we have unresolved, we don't live in the divine that was ordained for us. And I'm not going to accept you basically, I'm not going to accept that. I'm, I'm going with what I was, what my mission on this planet is. And so it's, it's, it's very, very powerful. And is there anything that you, um, I know that you have free uh, resources on healthydesire.com. Dot live. Dot live. Yes. Thank you. You have a YouTube and all this. All this information will be on the guest info page when I um, put True North podcasts, when I when I down integrate and download all this technology. I'm still getting used to <laughs> what I've got going here. Um, and that will be, all be on there. But is there anything that you can uh, maybe tell someone that's watching if they're wanting to get out? Is there is there anything or if they're questioning what can you maybe advise them with? Sure. Well, if you're questioning, I would say that's great. That's healthy. Trust your instincts. Um, if someone's trying to enroll you or make you feel like it's it's not okay to question things or they're trying to tell you um, oh, not being a part of BDSM is prudish, I will tell you that there's nothing more prudish than BDSM. Because BDSM is based off of punishment and your sexuality does not need to be punished. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing more prudish than BDSM. Uh, and you don't have to pay for connection with harm. That's what BDSM is about. It's not nurturing. So and and BDSM starts off at times where it's it's people think, oh, it's just something small. And then you find yourself in in situations you never expected because it is constantly chasing this high. So BDSM is an addiction, and like any other addiction, uh, find yourself support outside of the addicts, uh, because you're not gonna get support with people who are in it. And if you have any questions, you can email me. Um, I've opened a Reddit, Healthy Desire, so if you want to just ask questions, I'm always available to answer questions. If you ask questions on my YouTube channel or TikTok, wherever you want to comment, if you have something you're struggling with, just feel free to ask a question and I'll share. Um, I also have some blogs I'll be working on. I'm, I'm sharing some, I'm writing some articles about the origins of BDSM, just to dismantle all this stuff. But if you are looking to leave BDSM, trust yourself, um, get connected with healthy people who will support that choice. Do not go back to people who support BDSM, whether they're in it or not, because there'll be people who are not in BDSM who will support it. Stay away from psychologists and psychiatrists who call themselves, quote unquote, kink friendly, um, because those are supporters of BDSM. So get yourself a good tribe, surround yourself with healthy people, get connected with your friends and family who will support you getting out and any friends and family who don't steer clear of them in this conversation and trust yourself and 
get away as soon as possible. And again, reach out if you have any questions. That's beautiful. Is that how you came up with the name Healthy Desire? Was there a story behind that? Yeah, yes. So the, 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 um, I, I rebranded, it was Open Hearts Unite. And then there was just something more that I was like, there's just something I, I really, yes, Open Hearts Unite, that's beautiful. But I'm like, there's something here that is is beyond that I really want to focus on. And to me, it, it came to healthy desire because the conversation of healthy desire is living a full life. It's not just about sexuality, though sexuality is wonderful too, but it's just across the board, healthy desire, sex life relationships all, friendships, all of it creativity and that's what bdsm kills and stifles is healthy desire and it's parading as if it's desire bdsm is not about desire it is the illusion it is a far desire hiding true desire so bdsm keeps people from actually living healthy desire so that's where that term came from is like beyond free from bdsm beyond being free from bdsm is healthy desire and it's so powerful because you you know both the the dom the sub the switch you have had the full range of experience in that world to help navigate uh people to to get out of it and and i think that that's absolutely beautiful and crystal you have um just an amazing uh story you have an amazing heart and very courageous and the world needs you and i'm so glad that you're out here uh talking about this i am so blessed to have connected with you and i i really uh thank you for having such a a beautiful conversation that for some you know might be be tough but i think that the tough conversations are the ones worth having and the hero's journey doesn't mean that you know it's it's rainbows and sprinkles it means that <laughs> it means that it's actually um really moving through in my opinion the trauma that's that's on the planet or that comes through to us through our our generations and so you are doing amazing work and helping people move through that so it's just absolutely beautiful and i'd love to have you come back on the show and if there's you. ever anything that you want to update or or just share i'd love to have you on and and talk about um this subject because i think it's it's really valuable right now really really valuable right now is there anything else that you kind of that comes to your mind that you'd want to share and before we sign off, anything that comes up? I know people can reach you at healthydesire.live. You've got Instagram, you've got uh, yeah. YouTube, Twitter. And again, those links oh, are TikTok. all TikTok, I'm sorry. Yeah. And again, <laughs> they're, those are all gonna be in the bio um, when I, when I um, aggregate all this stuff, there's a, a bio for you. But is there anything else that you wanna add? Uh, I have to say, you know, for those who are against BDSM, um, just make sure to not villainize people, you know, like um, the grabbing a pitchfork. And I get the passion, um, but everybody in BDSM, nobody wins. The Dom doesn't win, the Switch, the Sub, nobody does. Um, and being very gentle, I, I, I'll be making videos too on how to talk to survivors of BDSM. 
um, but being very gentle because you could deeper into BDSM. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you're going to share my videos with someone you know, and you just start sharing information with them um like this is what you need to hear and do you could potentially push them deeper in mm -hmm. um and so it's i'd say share it generally share it with people who are interested or who ask for it um but be very careful not to weaponize anti-bdsm conversations because you can really what it comes down to is better like when I was in it, it was like better the devil I know, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So if you feel hostile towards them, they're already experiencing that in BDSM. Yeah. And at least they know they're dumb. So just be very careful. Um, and you know, you don't have to have been in BDSM to be anti-BDSM. Just like people don't have to be smacked in the face to know they don't want to be smacked in the face. So if anyone tries to diminish your voice because you haven't been in BDSM, just shoo that away because, you know, we all have the basic instincts and it's really good to trust yourself and uh, just be gentle with yourself and have a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm really grateful to have been on this podcast and I really appreciate you and you have an amazing heart and I'm, I'm really honored to have been a part of this and to meet you. So thank you. Thank you, Crystal. And to everyone that's watching, thank you. And you can find uh, all this downloaded, all the resources, all the this and things and stuff on the truenorthpodcast.com. It will be shared uh, far and wide. And yeah, let's keep getting the message out there that uh, there is life after trauma. And that when you connect with your inner compass and start that journey on your divine mission, that you do indeed live your true north life. And everyone stay magical until the next show. Much love. Thank you, Crystal. Going live in three, two, one. Welcome to the True North Podcast. We are season two, episode three, and tonight I'm welcoming welcoming just really dear friends and a couple really powerhouse women that are so near and dear to my heart. And the work that they're doing is, I mean, incredible. And they are living their true north life. They are on their divine mission, living their divine purpose. And it is such a pleasure tonight to introduce to you, Jessica Rose and Michelle Marie. They are within an organization called FIRE. Freedom is for everyone. And they are absolutely doing amazing work in the field of sex trafficking and bringing awareness and really providing aftercare services, which is how I became, uh, how our relationship really developed. And so I'm not really gonna 
blabber on. I'm bringing Jessica onto screen. I've got Michelle on anchor and because of technical reasons tonight, we're, we're seeing how this works and if we need to redo something, we will. Uh, but Jessica, welcome to the show. And could you please give yourself a little introduction? I am not really wanting to read notes. I want it to be very just um, kind of coming from your your way that you express what it is that you do. Thank you. Yes, so my name is uh, Chaplain Reverend Jessica Knight. I am the founder and executive director for Fire Revolution Freedom Center and Advocacy for Women, Inc. And as you say that the acronym FIRE stands for Freedom is for Everyone. Um, I founded uh, FIRE in 2015, um, just, uh, just after having served as an advocate within the, the social issue um, you know, in the, the war against uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking primarily. Um, my mom is a traffic survivor. Um, that's kind of where my heart is. Um, I recently uh, have been sharing that, um, you know, my mom came over to the United States in two, 1970. And so back then there wasn't the resources, there wasn't the, the community um, to help her with her healing. And so I watched my mom suffer. Uh, even though she had made these right choices, she was doing the right things. Our community that we were living in just wasn't very supportive um, and still treated her like the person that she used to be. So her suffering, her challenges, um, her vulnerabilities then became my vulnerabilities. Uh, and so later in life, I was recruited by a, a man who later told me that he was a convicted trafficker. And, uh, and just the journey of taking a stand in not wanting to be trafficked, um, it has been a 12-year journey now, and that particular trafficker still searches for me, tries to reach out to me, um, and it's, 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 it's horrible, absolutely horrific to go through it alone. Uh, I feel very blessed to have Michelle, um, who has kind of helped me through some of my challenges, uh, and because, you know, and as a result of that journey, um, just not wanting that, that, no woman should have to go through that alone. And I don't want my, my vulnerabilities and my challenges to become my daughters. I have three daughters and I, I just don't want to pass those down. And so just fulfilling that need in the community of working with survivors that have, have exited out uh, for many years and providing not just the resources and opportunity, but providing like a sisterhood. Um, I love that the, the survivor community within FIRE, we serve one another, which is, is it's unique in and of itself that, that we get together and we find out what dreams and passions each survivor has, and then we each serve that survivor. So that's really who I am and, and what FIRE represents. Beautiful, thank you. And Michelle, while she's not on camera with us tonight, <laughs> please, Michelle, you are on Anchor and could you please uh, introduce yourself?
Uh-oh. You might need to unmute something. Uh oh, oh, she's gone. So maybe she'll come back in or she can join us over on uh, the YouTube. We'll figure out how we can get her back in here. Um, welcome to live uh, YouTube. And there are technical difficulties that that come into play. So I'm just trying to figure this stuff out myself. And so we'll do the best that we can. And if Michelle comes back in, uh, we will continue. Um, oh, there she is. That's so weird. It said I was here the whole time and I could hear you guys <laughs> and everything. Uh, that's well, crazy. now I can hear you. So can you um, just give a little uh, introduction, if you will, please? Yeah, of course. So I'm, I'm Michelle Marie and I am a part of that fire that Jessica just spoke of and um, I am the lead sex trafficking advocate for fire. And also I am re referred to or looked to whenever there's um, any sort of issues with youth or children on the hotline or, you know, anything else we may come across. Uh, they uh. We lost you a little bit, Michelle. Well, she's still she's still showing up on my feed, so uh, it might be that um, that we've got just an internet. Oh, she's popped back out. So who knows? Um, it's just been one of those days, I swear. Like everything today, I went out and anyway, it doesn't I, I it's been one of those wonky days where this doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so we'll just uh keep the smiles on our faces and um yeah, we'll just uh keep plowing ahead. So let's let's uh switch over to you then, Jessica and this month uh, here in Arizona, we do have the Super Bowl. And that's one of the really main reasons that I wanted to um, have you guys on is because this is such a big time for you and your outreach work. Yeah. And so I just want to hand over the microphone to you and you are just doing so many amazing things. I'm telling you, I was reading the list that you sent over and it's so beautiful. And I, it's so interesting, Jessica, because right now there seems to be this, um, you know how when words start to become really popular, it's like almost things can get convoluted. Yes. And so, well, there seems to be a lot of talking or people throwing around the words. A lot of it is armchair warrior, like just keyboard, keyboard warrior type stuff. And you and Michelle and fire are boots on the ground. You're out there doing it. And so I just want you to know, first off, I mean, 
I just, I love you guys so much. And it's just such a blessing to, to know you, but I want you to share with the audience, if you could, what are you guys doing out there? So for, you mean for the Super Bowl, correct? Yeah. With your advocacy, yes. With your advocacy, your outreach, everything that you're doing out there with boots on the ground during this. And I mean, you're always doing it, but specifically yes. what's amped up right now because of the Super Bowl. So with any major event, like we have three major events within a two week time frame, and where unfortunately where there are men and where there is money, there's also exploitation of women and, and the youth. Uh, I was part of the Super Bowl when the Super Bowl was here the last time. We did an outreach back then. Um, it, it was a little bit different uh, because I was part of the Phoenix Dream Center. So, you know, there was a, just a lot more resources and focus. Um, my heart is always to, to outreach to that woman so that she can find freedom, that she knows that she's valuable and that she's beautiful. Uh, and so generally with outreaches, like you said, there's, there is the, what I want to say, the politics, um, even with, uh, I have to tiptoe around this one really carefully because Michelle and I just discovered this one, even when it comes to organizations that are, are very involved and, and assisting, um, they, because of funding, they are more, guided, you know, with wherever those funds are coming from. So FIRE, you know, we're, we're even though we do receive donations, it's mostly any kind, um, but all of the funds that we receive go to to victims or survivors, just depending upon where that's at, because that's where both mine and Michelle's heart is at, is, is that, you know, we've been very blessed to be able to um, have a great life and have our own finances. So anything that comes in, we want to be able to support um, a victim and any major outreach, the Super Bowl to me, it's, it's just an opportunity. Um, the statistics are that are about 10,000 uh, women and children that are brought in um, for exploitation and, uh, you know, just different things that come from out of state. So what an amazing opportunity to meet women I probably normally wouldn't have met. Uh, and I want to go to areas where people don't think of. I mean, we already have a relationship with 10 to 12 of the strip clubs here in Phoenix. We go there once a month. Um, we've done an anti-recruitment campaign for both drugs and sex trafficking, any recruitment that might go on. Um, partnered with um, like Celebrate Recovery. If a woman feels that she's being recruited and doesn't want to be recruited, she can find a way to exit out. And the piece of it is, is it's an opportunity to outreach to a woman that I normally wouldn't have the opportunity to, but it's the community. I, I, I put messages out there, hey, you know, I can't believe this time is coming. Michelle has been making bracelets for four and a half years. <laughs> I'm wearing a couple of them right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're finally going to hand them all out. Uh, but what gets me is you know, the, our outreach advocates that have gone through training and they've just stepped up to the plate. And I keep, you know, because Michelle and I, we've been doing this for years, uh, but our new advocates that are helping out for this particular event, 
once you see what you see, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And it's a different experience when you see it for your own eyes, because it's not something you see every day. So that exposure, my hope is not only to help liberate some of the women that are coming in um, and, you know, just sowing a good seed, but also to heighten awareness within um, the community and the advocates that have come that want to participate. Um, I think right now we're at, we're going to hand out 900 gifts, 100 roses, and I want to say 500 bracelets, right, Michelle? About. At least. <laughs> At least. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking more closer to a thousand, but we'll see. Oh, good, good, good. good. <laughs> so beautiful. And I was sharing with Michelle so the, the different places that we're gonna go, which I had to be creative with some of them because you know it's it's not Something I recommend, there is a lot of training when you're going out into the streets, into the areas where individuals are being prostituted, where they're being trafficked. Um, so I found these really cute little cards that they're called pocket hugs. And how non-threatening is that to yeah. say, hey, you know, you're in my city for a short period. Here's a, a card of resources where you you know you can exit out if you would like or somebody to talk to somebody to pray with but hold on to this pocket hug it's beautiful so, and i was sharing so i i, I put the agenda together uh, making sure we're utilizing our our time and i kind of you know didn't think about like what happens if a woman right then and there wants to exit out or shares that she's been trafficked i'm like oh my gosh what am i going to do with her so i'm coming up with a plan <laughs> right now mm -hmm. i think it's going to be like most of them you know where like it's a case to case it, we're going to have it's just going to depend on where she's at what she needs and mm -hmm. stuff like that so mm -hmm. i feel like well, the energy too is different because yeah i have quite a few survivors within our community, whereas the last time I didn't have very many. So peer support, peer to peer, a woman who has exited out as to a woman that probably wants to exit out. I, you know, I just, I, I just feel that shift is going to happen. Like there's just going to be a lot of movement. I'm praying that there's a lot of movement. Please pray for us too. Absolutely. Um, so let me that, ask you, Jessica, when you, you mentioned that 10,000, women or children will be coming in for the Super Bowl. This is trafficking specifically with pimps or can you expand on that? Yeah. When you talk so about, because I think that a lot of people, I, I mean, I mentioned before that when these words start getting thrown out there, some of the, the effectiveness of the word goes away. So people, I think, don't necessarily know the umbrella of trafficking or the nuance of trafficking and then is prostitution different is stripping different. I mean, I, I think that that's something that uh, might help people in understanding um, what's, what's going on with trafficking. Yeah. So trafficking as defined by, you know, the UN as well as the United States, it's, it's three parties. So for a trafficker, 
for an actual trafficking transaction, so to speak, there has to be a buyer, uh, a trafficker, and then a product. So the product is the human. It's sex. It's, you know, some type of exploitation, right? And, and, and the, you also have instances where a woman or a woman or, you know, an individual will self-exploit is what they call it. So they'll right. come in, they know that there's some money being made. Um, I've heard stories where normal women in the city, because it's a major event, will just sell themselves during this time. So that's trafficking um, and, and prostitution is it's the sexual act it's a little bit different like a woman doesn't wake up in the morning and say i want to sleep with 30 different men in a day um, there's usually some um facilitation so to speak that takes place in order for that to happen uh and again when there's money involved um and it's not just you know women here um, I've heard stories of where CEOs of different companies that, that they might have a private jet, they will go to another another country, to the brothels, pick up 10, 20 women. And because it's a private jet, there isn't the same restrictions in the airport like you would have with just an individual traveling. So that's why it's just so rampant. Um, and again, it's just everybody's having a good time. So that's really just the drive uh an event that michelle and i went to a couple weekends ago um the demand um unfortunately the purchasing uh is mainly driven by men uh, right now i think they said it's about 95 percent. there are women that do purchase but obviously it's not as high and without the demand there wouldn't be a need for the product so individuals who are vulnerable in some way, um, you know, you think about uh, forced fraud or coercion, uh, abduction is only, I've heard now, it's actually reduced, abduction is only 1%. 99% is manipulation, convincing another individual that this is what they want to do. And, you know, there's many, many, many stories out there of what why women were led into it in, in uh -huh. one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you hear within the community. So that's what drives it is, like I said, it's, it's the demand and um, just the events surrounding it. And yeah. obviously different, um, uh, I don't want to give names of, because there's three, like I said, there's three events here. So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it's somebody playing golf, if it's somebody playing football, or if it's, you know, a big car show, yeah. all of those events uh, attract exploitation, but none of those names want to be associated with it. It's just something mm -hmm. that happens around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this kind of secrecy of, you know, what goes, what goes on when you leave town and your work is out of town or you go out to these events and it's kind of this unspoken uh, thing that I've, you know, and look, I lived in LA and I've, I, I've seen it for, I saw it everywhere where it just seems to be 
getting away from the ball and chain for the weekend and um such a it, it's and it's so interesting to me that it's it's like one of those things that when you talk about then there's a stigma on the woman but yet when we really get down to the nuts and bolts of it it's it's statistically very low that women are going out and paying for sex right and so the psychology of what's going on there is fascinating to me and why and i suppose it's because as a culture or even as a globe or every culture we're kind of taught to keep these secrets and the shame and the guilt is put on generally the woman. And so that's what I just love about, you know, what you guys are doing, because it gives women a safe place to know that there's a safe place that you can go. And while there may be a lot of keyboard warrioring going on, there are so many of us women that are boots on the ground that are here holding space for you to come and find respite because we truly care and we want you to know that. And I have worked with Michelle and Jessica on um, a personal level and we'll save that for another interview because this isn't certainly about even, you know, what I necessarily do here. This is about what you guys are doing down in during the Super Bowl and all the time. I mean, this you guys do these outro, outreach. I'm in their private group for uh, fire, which is freedom is for everyone. And I am constantly just like, oh my God, they're out doing it again. They're out, prayers up, prayers up. My girls are out there and they're doing it. And you know, Michelle, I, maybe tell us a little bit about, cause you do work with the youth. What is it that you would like people to know um, that are hearing this about um, what fire is doing out there with um the youth um well you know we just it's the same thing that jessica said we want to create community we want to create a space where people feel safe and that they can come to no matter what they're going through and you know when it comes to the youth i mean there there's some that we come across that you know have been trafficked but i think it also hits the prevention thing it's the breaking the chains it's the drive that pushes you know me and jessica was our own kids was breaking the chains and you know stopping those generational curses because we never want anybody to have to go through that again so naturally that means that there's a space for us and a community of love in the teen community. And, you know, adding to what you asked Jessica, which also kind of answers the question you just asked me or two is, you know, a lot of times when you're dealing with children, minors, young folks being trafficked, you're dealing with folks who don't even realize that that's what's happening. Sometimes it's, you know, some girl's boyfriend is like, hey, I want you to sleep with my buddies because I love you and it would make me and them happy, you know, and that's it. But on the side, somebody's passing money to that boy. You know, there's things like that happen. You know, there's stepdads and you know, biological dads and moms, you know, trafficking their kids to try and make ends meet. And they're telling their kids over and over and over again, 
this isn't what it is. You know, they're saying, oh, that's your boyfriend or, oh, he likes you or, you know, they're telling you something that's making you think it's not what it is. Or they're holding something over your head and threatening you saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to hurt your sister or something. And, you know, when it's on that level and you're dealing with a minor who barely even understands what this is, they're not going to realize that that's what's happening to them till years later. And so a lot of what we do when it comes to the minors is, you know, we just want that community. A lot of times the minors that come uh, across our path, you know, are survivors kids. So, you know, they are getting an indirect ripple effect of what their parents experienced from trafficking. And so even though they may not be being trafficked, like Jessica said, her mom's vulnerabilities and weaknesses became hers. And so if we don't touch the youth in this community through the survivors, through wherever God leads us, then, you know, we're we're only healing, you know, the, the mothers and the fathers, but they're still having that disconnect at some point with their kids, which gives those kids that weakness. You know what I mean? That vulnerability that, that makes them prime real estate, if you will, for a trafficker. So, you know, you, that's a lot of what we do with the kids. And I think that really touches on what you guys were talking about too, is yeah, there's trafficking. Yeah. There's prostitution, exploitation, and all these big words on it. But we also have to look at the fact that there's a huge community that doesn't even know they've been trafficked. And that's why we need to be out there watching for the signs, handing the pocket hugs, because, you know, they might know somebody or, you know, something like that. It's about planting those seeds in those kids and that awareness they need, those things they need to watch out for that their parents might not be equipped to tell them because they're they're broken too right you know so i think that's a lot of what we do with the the youth community is just interacting with them and you know bringing up their awareness and then they go share it with their friends and it it just creates this ripple effect and that's that's what it's really about is changing the future in this you know we if we change the now we have to do it in a way that it lasts right and that means touching the youth. That, that sounds horrible. <laughs> we have to interact and, you know, help them in different ways so that they get their healing mechanisms that they, you know, they need to go into the world, right? Yes. And of course, I mean, I, and I understand why you said that, but yes, that's, but that is so critical and, you know, I, I know this is, this is such sensitive conversation to have, but at the same time, so necessary. And if, if you're listening to this and it feels uncomfortable, I'm kind of like, yeah, well, okay, good. Because just being behind a, a keyboard and saying, oh, I, I, that's awful and typing something about it. I know, I understand. It's, it's, uh, it's, I imagine a little easier if you're where you are and you're not being seemingly affected by this. You are being affected by this. And if you have children 
And you may think that, oh, my kids aren't doing that. I would say, I would argue that the media and the way that, that just humanity is being blasted with information, you, you may be surprised what your uh, children are being exposed to. And at that critical, critical age, even, I mean, what age is critical now? I suppose it's all critical, but when, especially when the hormones and, and you're, you're starting to be exposed to things and you think it's super cool to do certain things, you know, be out with you, you are, kids are susceptible to this predatorial energy and it is epidemic. And I would even, without naming names of shows, I would say that that is the programming that is coming at kids regardless of anything it's they're coming after that energy and that's why i think that these conversations are so critical to have because you may think that your kids are safe and i certainly am not trying to put it out there that like you shouldn't enjoy life but to be educated about the signs of things that are going on in your household that you may not even be aware of and so maybe both of you could um, discuss in the home with children and adolescents if there are certain signs of behavioral change that you might help parents to maybe better notice. Do you want to address that one, Michelle? Um, I can address some of it, and I know you're going to have some epic stuff to add. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I really think it's important to note too in what we're saying is you know, we're all human and we're all, you know, have our issues. And it sounds like you have to be a really messed up kid to fall into this. But in all honesty, in all reality, all it takes is that one moment of a child who's going through a crazy divorce with good reason. Their parents don't need to be together. And you know, they have that moment where they're alone and they feel scared. And, you know, that one person reaches out to them in that dull moment and it just snowballs from there. It just, and kids, they're teenagers, they're getting their periods, they're getting hormones, they're getting lumps that they can't explain. And, you know, it's just, they're, they're confused. It's hard. It's really hard. And it's really hard as parents to address every single need and issue that our kids come up to us with because we have our own even if we are really you know on track in life you still run into stuff and you know there's going to be moments where you're you're trying to respond to your ch child but there's 10 million things in your head and there's a disconnect and they feel that and that one moment that icky person shows up at the right time it can pull them. And it's not our fault as parents. It's not their fault as kids. But what we need to do is make sure they know what they're looking for when it comes to those icky people. They have to know that if they accidentally sent that picture or not accidentally for that matter, that mm -hmm. they can come and say, hey, mom, dad, I'm in trouble. And you, you won't hurt them. That's that's what's the big thing is that our kids feel safe enough to come to us when they're scared, when they're hurting, when they screwed up, when they look funny, you know, they have to be able to do that. And that's, that's really the biggest thing. I mean, 
it, it's crucial to watch out for, you know, certain apps on their phones, definitely. And I, I don't want to name drop apps and get in trouble here. Um, Jessica might be better at knowing which ones that are okay to name drop. But, you know, you watch for apps, you watch search history, you watch the phone history, the text history, learn the tricks to find out how, where their deleted messages are. Put stuff on their phone so that you can watch where they're going and stuff. I know it sounds like an invasion of privacy, but it's better than an invasion of the white creeper van, you know? Mm -hmm. So So if they're going to have a phone or a computer and you're the adult, you do not need to feel guilty as a parent if you're establishing boundaries because the boundaries are going to be imperative to your child navigating or your adolescent navigating the world that's out there. And it's, it's not something that I mean that you should feel guilty for if they're going to have that sort of access to the internet, then you have access as a parent because you're the parent. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe even, I I don't know. My kids, I don't even like them on the internet. As I discussed in the beginning of this call, I don't even have it because I don't want, I don't want to try to keep up with all that because I know that I get stressed. I know that, you know, I get overwhelmed and I might mess up or miss it. So I just rather not have it. But if, and when they do, I'm pretty sure like I have, you know, a good idea. Like we could sit down and make it a plan to go through their phones together. Mm -hmm. Hey, make it a thing you know, make them get used to watching what's happening on their phone and who's, you know, tapping into different stuff, teach them how to stop their apps from running so that their locations aren't available all the time, you know, different things. There's, there's so many different ways. And then you just, you know, you just watch out for different behaviors, secrecy, um, lack of eye contact is a big one. If, if a child is being abused or something like that out and you're not doing it on any level and they're not making eye contact and they're hiding and, you know, they're being weird. They're starting to show up with money that they can't explain, you know, different things for free, things like that. Phone calls late at night, you know, friends that are older than them. Just, you just watch out for just different activity is really, that's what it is, is being aware and alert of your children's activities and making sure that, they can come to you if you miss something because you freaking will, you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> you will. And I think that's another really key factor in it all is learning what to do when you do miss something, yeah. you know, how do you respond to that child who's been hurt? How do you, where do you take them? You know, what do you do? Cause it happens like the, the statistics are ridiculous for how many kids are sexually abused you know, and their kids, their parents had no idea, you know? And so it's important to make sure that you've hit those steps when, or if something happens so that, you know, that vulnerability in them isn't now open for a trafficker. Mm -hmm. There's so much more I could go on and on and on. And I have so many questions, but I, I want to, I want to have Jessica add into that. And then I have a couple questions I'd like to throw out there for you guys. My, I think my biggest thing is is to have that uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. My daughters are all adults, so I have four grandkids. And I love that my daughters and my son-in-laws are teaching my grandkids to be aware 
how to handle technology. My, I only have, I have three grandsons and one granddaughter and, you know, we're all kind of hovering around my granddaughter. Uh, but my daughters are teaching her how to, how to have a phone and boundaries isn't a bad word. It's a safe yeah. word. It's, it's love. And I, I just feel as parents that, you know, we think, oh, boundaries, no boundaries boundaries is, is love and we need to teach our kids that and just going off of what Michelle said about um, watching your kids if you know if, if this is the typical things like we think oh teenagers they're misbehaving or whatever the case may be we really need to watch because the more they get withdraw stuff starts showing up the strange friends you know um, I mean, just two things I would recommend if anyone's going through this, there's some suspicious activity of some sort, don't be afraid to to text the National Human Trafficking Hotline. I mean, mm. that information, you know, just tell them, not that you're telling on your kids, but, you know, that information is very, very helpful to law enforcement to track and to show that there is an engagement. Uh, one of the things I love about the blue campaign is if you see something, say something. So you mm -hmm. can text the, or text or call the national hotline anonymously and not have to really worry about any, any backlash and just know that you, that you're actually doing something. If it's wrong, that's okay. But can you imagine if you didn't do anything like what, you know, what, what would have happened there? Uh, so just, I mean, for most parents, we're very engaged in our children's lives um, and we're okay with having that uh, uncomfortable conversation. If you haven't, I, I strongly recommend that you do it. And the approach always has to be with grace, kindness, and love. Because with grace, kindness, and love, you establish trust. And once you establish trust in your children's lives or their friends' lives, for that matter, uh, that's when you can really speak into it. Uh, law enforcement, victim services, like I said, the national, the national human trafficking hotline, they have such good information. Uh, like I said, if you're not sure, just kind of researching it. And, you know, every individual that's being exploited, the statistic is that they're, they won't get out until they're ready to get out. Do we still uh, so, have a tab on one of our pages with uh, tips and things like that to watch it, Human Trafficking 101, right? Yes. Is that it? Yes. Into the Inferno, intotheinferno.org. There's a ton of information. That's our, our volunteer training website. Uh, we have two websites, um, not to change the subject, but we have two websites. We have an advocacy website. So if a woman is in need, there's national and local resources here in Phoenix for him or her, you know, even a child. Uh, but the, those that want to learn more about, you know, the survivor um, community and how to assist a survivor that has exited out and has been living among in our community, or if you just want to, like I said, learn about the social issue, I've put a ton of resources on there. Now in the guest bio that you sent me, those links are in there. And when I uh, post everything, those links will show. Did you um, put those links? Just the advocacy one, The because I'm not sure who's going to be watching the podcast. If you would like our 
our volunteer um, website, which I just kind of gave it. It's, it's, you know, you have to listen to the podcast, but I'm happy to send it to somebody. I just didn't want it to be public information out there. Okay. Yeah, okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. And, you know, this is, this is such powerful information and I'm so blessed to have connected with both of you and, and have actually, you know, worked with you in fire. And I think that it's just really important because right now, I think people, I think people truly do want to do something. Mm-hmm. It's just a very uncomfortable subject. I think that generationally people keep secrets. They don't want to think that this could happen, you know, to them or to their family. But we now in the age of information that we're in, this doesn't know socioeconomics. This doesn't know color. This doesn't know race, religion. It is across the board an epidemic. And, and oh, I keep getting feedback and I'm trying to figure my best with this technology. <laughs> let, me, let, me, <laughs> let me try this again. Um, so if anybody is out there watching and you want to step away from your keyboard and get out there, please reach out to Jessica and Michelle at FIRE, Freedom is for Everyone. The work that they're doing is amazing. And you may not even live in the Phoenix area or the Arizona or, you know, but you can start an outreach program where you are. Mm-hmm. And Michelle and Jessica, I know them, per- like, they're going to be like, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, let's do this. Because it is, and I think I can speak for you ladies, it is in our heart to make a difference on the planet it is our it is in our heart and to provide the kind of outreach and and information so that if you're listening to this you don't have to feel like i can't do anything it's it's what can i do well you can do something you can do something And the future for children and for, for really all of us, because we were, for lack of a better word, and, you know, we're all hearing this together. So we want to make this better for the planet. This is, this is the core issue as far as I'm concerned on the planet right now, that if we don't fix this one, if we don't address this one, if you don't take up your sort of truth for this one, I don't know that the other ones matter. Hmm. You know, kids and all of our sacral sexual energy is, is priceless. And it is the connection. It is love. It is everything. And so if we can't protect the children in that energy, what does it look like? I, I, I don't even, you know, I'm not going to go too doom and gloom with this, but I don't think it looks too good. This to me is 
the subject. And so um, I just love you guys so much. And I just Aww. really, it's so we important to have you. To thank <laughs> you to have you guys on. So let's, let's kind of go back to what you're doing here in Phoenix during the Super Bowl and, and, and draw ourselves back into that. Is there anything that anybody right now watching, if they wanted to join you on something or send you a donation or really help in some way, what can they do for you right now? Yeah. So, I mean, there's multiple things and um, just kind of going back to like how everything is structured for fire. So I did want to touch really quick. So one of the things that fire is doing is we're assisting two major church denominations, AME and then AMEZ, and then we have some smaller churches. Uh, so a total right now um, on the West Coast, we're assisting about 75 churches creating human trafficking initiatives. And what I share with each church is, you know, to get involved, like each area has a different type of explanation, uh, exploitation. Like one church is, is in um, near indigenous individuals. And so you've got a lot of trafficking happening in families and you have ones that are like right on the, on the, the track in Phoenix. And then you have another one that's kind of in a rural community. So you can help the survivors. So there's, everybody can do something. And I just want to speak with the men too. Um, Mm, Nick yeah. Limbo with mm. Just Men AZ, mm. he's created a virtual outreach that men can do, reaching out to other men. I haven't added it to the website yet, but there is literally something for everyone to do. If you want to do something, it's finding out what you want to do. Uh, mm -hmm. One of my favorite advocates is Rebecca Bender, and something that she's, she speaks on is finding your lane. Uh, so within the whole fire revolution 2023 super bowl outreach operations everybody's doing different things like some of the advocates they can't go into strip clubs but they'll do the streets some people can't do outreach at all so they'll bring the food i have another person that just reached out to us because we want to hand out roses on our last very last outreach we want to go to the event by the cardinal stadium and hand out roses to women that we may feel that are at risk and so there's, and I, I know I asked people, I'm like, could you bring snacks for us, for all the advocates? Because when I did this the last time, I forgot to eat. <laughs> I think I ate one meal a day and I did it for 10 days. So I was not doing well yeah. after about a week. So I want to make sure that all the advocates that are, that are contributing and sowing their energy, that they, that they feel nourished to go out. Um, so in-kind donations, if you have any old makeup or jewelry, and you want to be able to send that to us as well, um, you can, you can go, again, you can go to intotheinferno.org. And on the, on that website, there's different ways to donate. Um, Kim is on there as well. You can help her with her, what she, how she is helping fire and the survivors in our community. There's so many different ways. You can feed a horse. Can you believe helping <laughs> feed a horse helps survivors? So in the area um you can go to our website um you could email the email is on there uh, info at the fire and i'm happy to send you the link to um our paypal account where we receive donations uh so like it's just during the super bowl it's if you 
you have to reach out to me because I'm very, very, very particular about the advocates that come out on outreach. Number yep. one, because there is a, a convicted trafficker out there that thinks I'm still his property. So we have to be mindful of him. Um, just the, you know, maneuvering with, with traffickers out there. Um, I believe in the buddy system. Michelle and I joke about my buddy system. Uh, but I've had traffickers try to recruit my advocates. You're dealing with people from other states who are just having a good time. Uh, and, you know, and they're not very mindful of, of boundaries uh, for the advocates. So there's a lot of training that goes into being an outreach advocate. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to just come and serve and help us put some more bags together, um, maybe put, we put a card on all the roses and that's something else that you can do. Um, so there's just, there's different things. So just reach out to us, email us. Yeah. I just love how like people have like, you know, over the years, I remember when I was accepting, like, you know, people coming in wanting to help and stuff. It's really just, if you have something that you're good at, that you like to do and you just reach out and say, Hey, I'm really good at this thing. Can you use it? Can you, can you use it in what you're doing? Most of the time we can, like, you know, we've, we've had so many different folks come up and help with different sort of outreach supplies, you know, the, the quilting ladies, people bringing food. It, it's just, you're, everybody's good at something and there's a way to use it in this fight. Somehow you just have to be willing to say, Hey, can you use this? You know, I want to, I want, I want to help. Yeah. You know, and I will also say that I think that we're living in a time that a lot of people that may not think that they've had any sexual trauma, it's really coming to the surface. So if you're wanting to break that generational curse in your family, even if you think that it couldn't happen to you, if something's coming up and you're starting to have even memories where you're starting to think if, if something's surfacing for you, please don't think that you're alone. Please don't think that there's something wrong with you. Reach out. And if you have children and you're finding this to be kind of difficult to even approach, that might be a sign that you need to approach it. Mm -hmm. So I think that, coming together and, and providing a safe place to talk about all sorts of subjects that are coming up. If you're listening to this and you're feeling uncomfortable, part of me is like, good, you're feeling uncomfortable. And then the other part of me is like, I want to give you a hug cause you're feeling uncomfortable <laughs> and it's okay. It's an uncomfortable topic and it's, it's something that, I, I suppose in, in so many ways, when I say my prayers at night, and the feedback I get is that, well, that's, it's here for a reason. And y'all are here on the front line and y'all are on the front line. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something different with the horses and, and with you guys. I'm, I'm definitely um, not out there with boots on the ground the way that you women are. But like you said, there's a place for all of us in this fight. And that's the beautiful part of it. There's a place for all of us to take a stand and say, we're done with this. Mm -hmm. No more. You don't get, no, whatever, 
whatever and there's all sorts of play you know whether it's predatorial energy whether it's generational trauma whether it's this whether it's that it's here and it's done we're done with this so prayers up to you ladies and if you have any um last words we'll go ahead and i'd love to have you back on after the super bowl and of course oh, yes. to, to continually have you on I absolutely <laughs> love you guys. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to Jessica, the name of the YouTube again. It is, if you search Fire Revolution into the Inferno, you'll find our playlist and all our videos that we do. Um, I do a weekly video, which I know you see. Um, it's uploaded to our YouTube channel. What's going on, events that we're doing, a word of encouragement. The videos are more for the survivor community um, to let them know that we're still here for them and that we're creating events for them that are specifically tailored for them. So, so yeah, there are many different ways. But if you're watching this on Sedona Horse Medicine, if you would please like and subscribe, my True North series will be on uh Tonight I'm having technical difficulties, so I'm not sure how this video, I know that the, the podcast will turn out, but the video, I'm not so sure, but I'm going to download it anyway, um, <laughs> because I'm going to, um, but please like, and subscribe. I'm going to keep doing these true North interviews. It's showcasing beautiful humans that are living their true North, their divine mission, divine purpose. They've, they've been on the hero's journey and now they're on the other side of it and they're sharing it with the village because that's what you do when you've been on the hero's journey. You've been in, you know, you've gone through the, the belly of the beast, so to speak. You're on the other side and then you share the knowledge and the wisdom that you have gained. And Jessica and Michelle are the epitome of women who have been on the hero's journey and who are now here to share their wisdom. They're courageous, they're brilliant, and I am honored to call them my friends. And I can't say enough about them because I just am so, like, I love them with all my heart. And they are a big part of Unicorn Way, which is spelled Y-O-U, Unicorn Way. And you can find all those links on the truenorthpodcast.com if you would like to help support as Jessica so beautifully said, if you'd like to buy a meal for a horse, those horses actually are an integral part of what I do when I work with women coming out of the outreach program that Jessica and Michelle are so brilliantly running and a part of, and, and just, it's their passion. And I get to be a little part of that and see the beauty that comes when we work together and share our gifts individually and then come together. So please, if you're feeling drawn to this conversation, reach out and you will find a place for yourself because we need you. We need you. And ladies, I absolutely adore you. And if you have any last words, please, if not, we will end it and I will send you with much love and prayers up for your, you know, remaining uh, month. It's going to be a busy one. Yes. 
you have anything, Michelle? Um, I think I just, you know, you guys all talked about all these great ways to help, but there's ways to help just in your community too. And that's with the kids. If you want to make a difference in the world on any level, you make a difference in a young person's life and you will make lasting change in this world that will outlive every single one of us older folks here. And <laughs> I think that's so important. And, you know, somebody said something recently that really struck me. And we have a giant generation here of kids that are coming into this world with stuff from generations of folks who used methods that hurt them and those curses are being broken. Parents are handling their kids in different ways than they've ever dealt with them. And these kids are trying to understand and come into the world with this generational crap hanging over them while they understand why their parents are acting different than their ancestors did and they don't understand it. So I think it's just really hard for kids. And I think we need to connect with them. We need to try to love them where they're at. We need to try to be fun with them, you know, anything, just spend time with them, laugh with them, show them an adult that isn't unsafe. And that's, that's really a way to make a difference even if you're not reaching out for it to an advocacy or something, you're helping a child grow into the world with a moment of peace because you gave it to them. And just, I think that's so important and they all need it. So maybe uh, less computer, more nature. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely more nature laughs. You know, yeah. when they're More weird connection. and goofy and you don't get their funky jokes, laugh anyway. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but help them feel comfortable in this world because yeah. they're, they're yeah. not, you know, mm -hmm. even yeah. if just for a moment. That's, mm -hmm. that's all I have to say. I'm all about those kiddos, right? <laughs> it's beautiful. And Michelle has three beautiful daughters and Jessica daughters as well and and you guys are an amazing example of taking your pain your trauma and again coming out on the other side of the hero's journey an example of what that can look like when you've healed generational trauma or even this you know just this lifetime trauma <laughs> You guys are an amazing example of that. And so I am, uh, well, I'm just in love with you both. So that's that. <laughs> well, love we love you. you. Yes. So uh, funny. I, we, Michelle and I were doing kind of a speaker tour because January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And I updated our volunteer training website. I added the survivor's story all because I wanted to share what you were doing. <laughs> uh, well, you know, ladies, and for those of you listening, last spring, it's almost been a year. Yes. May 20th. And how that even happened, we all have this amazing kind of story about the day that that happened with our dads. And like we had all these amazing synchronicities. And here we are almost a year later. Uh, we've had some new Patreon donors, and so we'll be planning another uh, 
it's all sponsored. It's donor sponsored. So if you're listening and you want to become a, a sponsor on Patreon, it, it goes all to the women that are coming out of trafficking or domestic violence so that they can come up here to beautiful Sedona, experience um, horse medicine and, and just really working on emotional regulations, just really a lot of tools and solutions that can that can really help one on any on a journey with trauma in general. Um, but I'm specifically, of course, very passionate about the whole women coming out of trafficking. And, you know, I'd love I'd love to see it branch out to where it's adolescents that have like, I, you know, of course, I'd, I'd like to see it be as big as um, it could possibly get. But to touch base with you guys is always such an amazing blessing. And here we are you know, Super Bowl being here. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you again. I'm looking forward to planning what we're going to do with the next, um, you know, time with the horses, with the ladies. And I love, I just love what you guys are about and, and how courageous, you know, I really believe that when we take courageous steps in life, we're rewarded mm. with 10 times the blessings like it, it, bigger blessings because it takes courage to change mm -hmm. and to, to say, Hey, I'm going to step out there where it's uncomfortable because I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. So regardless of whether or not you're going through that individually in your life, whether you're stepping out and you're taking a stand on something that you're passionate about, be courageous. Mm-hmm. Be courageous. The world needs you. The world needs you. Yeah. <laughs> and you have just uh, been introduced to two very courageous women that I love. And I can't wait to, like I said, hear from you. I hope you'll come on after this month. You may need a little time to kind of uh, digest everything, but I'm certainly hoping that you'll come back as soon as you're ready to. And uh, I think that on that note, you guys are probably wanting to get some sleep as you guys, we are doing this a little later tonight and you're probably, what, what day does your, uh, does your stuff start? Is it the next week? The ninth, the, yeah. The ninth, 10th and 11th. So here we yeah. go. And again, all this information, all their uh, links and stuff will be in the guest bio. And certainly reach out. You can Send find prayers. me. Yeah, <laughs> prayers up. Prayers up. And I will be contacting you guys before you guys go out there. I, I will be, um, you know, we're, we're in some groups together. Yeah. So I will be prayers up and you will be on my heart. I've got my bracelets on. <laughs> Yay. I, um, yeah yeah and we'll do we'll talk more about some of that stuff in the update because i could keep you guys another hour <laughs> but then you know you got to get some sleep so have a great night ladies i love you to pieces and i'm gonna end the i'm gonna end the um anchor right now thank you okay. for tuning in here we go but stay on the line the other line ladies Okay. Good night, Anchor.